A Dutch Bible records the family tree of an apartheid pariah. Coming from the wrong side of the racetrack, as it were, Opa Klaas faced double jeopardy as the dark-skinned progeny of miscegenation. Sex across the colour line was criminalised in 1927, with the Immorality Act repealed and refined some 30 years later. Born in 1897, a first-generation coloured male married his sweetheart out of what was to become the apartheid church. When a Dutch Bible surfaced a century later, setting out his family tree, it raised many more questions than it attempted to answer. I am Joan Marie Farouf, and this is Candace Nolan's story. I'm the only one in my immediate family who does not self-identify as coloured I prefer the term mixed race, Kham or Kamisa. In 1950, a year before my dad was born, a law was enacted which defined a coloured person as anyone who is not white or native Aboriginal. My mom was barely walking when Queen Elizabeth ascended the British throne. Her coloured borough was named in honour of the Queen's coronation. Coloured people were duped into becoming human shields, First, coloured and black neighbourhoods had only one entry and exit point, making it easy to contain any unrest. Secondly, in the event of the prophesied Night of the Long Knives, the ring of coloured neighbourhoods would provide a buffer zone against the murderous blacks, giving white folk plenty of time to make their escape. But back then, all I wanted was to be Kelly on Santa Barbara. Joe and Channing. And Channing dead. Will I ever get that picture out of my mind? Tony, Joe was tried and found guilty. What kind of life would I be living if I didn't believe in the verdict? I'd go crazy. When black children were allowed into our colored only schools, I remember thinking them a loud, obnoxious and vacuous bunch. This is an excerpt from a hugely popular comedy show, The Daywalker. Amen. Amen. What's wrong, Chepo? Amen. Amen, I can't read. What do you mean you can't? Amen, I can't read. Amen. Just read. We. Willie was, Willie was, put at, Willie, Willie was put at, put perturbed, put at, by the situation he was, he, he was in. I was so blissfully ignorant. Thankfully, my work has exposed me to all kinds of people who have helped to reverse my racism. My people, my people, open your eyes.
Sadly, many of my family still cling to prejudices about black people while kowtowing to white people. For a long time, I felt caught up in a no-man's land, searching for belonging. And then I watched the film Kritoa, about South Africa's founding father, Jan van Riebeck, and his Khoi language interpreter. In fact, Kritoa is the Europeanized version of her name. Lucy Campbell is a social history activist. When you have researched pre-1652, you are bound to meet up with this remarkable woman, which we call Horokwas of the Horanakona. That was her original name. When the SABC put out a call for documentaries for a series entitled Hidden Histories, Kay Ann Williams, a coloured screenwriter, knew that there was a story she wanted to tell. In a church service, a pastor was saying the reason why coloured people struggle with their identity and alcoholism and promiscuity was because of this ancestor called Kratoa, who was all of those things, and that she passed those sort of cycles down to us as a group of people. And that really offended me. And, you know, I thought to myself, but there has to be something more to the story and to this woman. I was inspired to learn that words like hocha and aina are actually borrowed from Khoi or Bushman languages. Suddenly, being mixed race was not necessarily a bad thing, and I started embracing my otherness. I also realized that the constructs of pure white and black racial groups had long since been discredited by science. Every person walking the face of the earth is mixed race, but my mother still insists that she is colored, using the apartheid definition. I just hate it when people classify me as... Capetonian, you know, they just will assume that I'm from the Cape because I'm a color. And this is now from white South Africans. Do you see yourself as a colored? Yeah, that's all I know all my life. I know my dad used to say um, because of my classification, I wouldn't be able to do the career I wanted to do because I wanted to be an air hostess or something like that. And then he said I mustn't so one day, when my mom casually mentioned her Zulu grandmother, Oma Titi's, I nearly choked on my cook sister. So this picture in the Bible that um, Cedric um, had received uh, from some family in the Cape. The Bible was like a family Bible with my grandfather and grandmother's names recorded. Who's that before? And there was a picture of my grandmother in there, and that was very astounding because it was seemed like a black lady, and um, but very pretty and very regal looking. And so began the quest for the Bible. As a pit stop along the way, I learnt about a white relative, stand-up comic Riyad Musa. But New South Africa, at least we don't have to deal with a pencil test anymore. Let me tell you, during apartheid, during the classification process, sometimes they used to get confused between who was actually white and who was just light-skinned colored. So they took a pencil, stuck it in the person's hair. If it fell out of the hair, the person was white. And if it stayed in the hair, the person was colored. 
Surely no mistakes were ever made using a test of such inspired genius? Uncle Frank was my grandfather's older brother. He was a qualified fitter and turner, a job reserved for whites. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it must have been the goose that laid the golden egg. For the rest of the family, many of whom lived from hand to mouth, Uncle Frank must have been like Robin Hood. He was a handsome guy. Was, I think he had a mole somewhere. Put a fox on the face, but he was fair. He looked like John Wayne. And tall, and he used to wear these long trench coats. He was you know, that guy, sort of handsome. Like fashionable like, guy. Yeah. Like a movie star. That was Uncle Frank. Mm. Uncle Frank was like one of those affluent people. He was like that. Wasn't Look he up also guy. More? Because Auntie Ethel was also fair, wasn't he also more um, white? Sort of classified white? No, not really. And, because and because of that, he could have all that affluence? Having a rich uncle definitely has its perks. Uncle Frank once gave them a fluffy little lamb named Billy. He grew into a fearsome sheep or goat, depending on who you ask. I still became a lamb. I also. Even when we slaughtered the lamb? There was, um, yeah, it was a, a mutton meat. And we still had a smiley face and the brains and everything Ew, from there. How can you kill your pet? That's so mean. We had to because he was grown so big. A I can remember he had those uh, longish corns. Curly. Yeah. Yeah. Curly horns. Yeah. It made so. Yeah. And when it used to come in, I used to jump on a hot stove. Get away. <laughs> so you were scared of him? Yeah. As children, they all believed that Billy came from Uncle Frank's farm. But when Uncle Frank died, there was no sign of a farm. Uncle Frank didn't even own his own home. His most prized position was arguably a signature British Austin Mini Minor motor car. You don't believe it, do you? Ah, but wait. Wait until you step inside the Morris Mini Minor. There's so much room for four people and so much puzzle space. Everything stows away so neatly. Valued at 20 South African Rand, it was a mere fraction of the other two vehicles Uncle Frank owned. That, together with some furniture and a cash amount of 694 rands and seven cents made up the sum total of Uncle Frank's estate of over one and a half thousand rand. Uncle Frank may have lived as a white man, but he died coloured. He passed away in the hospital designated for coloured people, just shy of his 63rd birthday in March 1973. Besides mentioning that his wife was present, the death certificate is silent on a cause of death. In the photo album, there's a picture of Frank and his younger brother, Henny, who is wearing a clerical collar. More about him later. Then there's a side profile picture taken from the back of an ageing Uncle Frank giving a toast at someone's wedding. Maybe he owed his straight hair and fair complexion to his white grandfather. But we don't know his grandparents because my family only goes back four generations. Good Lord, don't make him a man.
make him a woman too. Be bold, white rise again. Didn't know exactly what to do. Be bold, white rise again. I noticed, noticed, indeed, I noticed this design. began in the Dutch Reformed Church in Pretoria, De Groote Kerk, where my great-grandparents exchanged their vows on the 1st of May, 1907. I was searching online when out of the blue an image pops up on my screen. It's a scanned image of the Dutch Reformed Church wedding register featuring my great-grandparents' names. Illiterate, Opa Klaas scribbled his name in a childlike scrawl. His bride, Aletta, spells her name Letty with an A in the front. Half a century later, such unions would be completely taboo. Apartheid's architect, Hendrik Verwurt, tried to put lipstick on a pig. Our policy is one which is called by an Afrikaans word, apartheid. And I'm afraid that has been misunderstood so often. It could just as easily and perhaps much better be described as a policy of good neighborliness. Accepting that there are differences between people. But while these differences exist, and you have to acknowledge them, at the same time, you can live together, aid one another, but that it can best be done when you act as good neighbors always do. The people spoke with one voice. Apartheid was eventually defeated at the ballot box in 1994, but this was only after a bloody and protracted war which saw the state visit untold atrocities on its subjects. There are no struggle heroes in my family. Perhaps they were either too frightened or too comfortable. When I try to sleep at night, I Oh, 
My great-grandfather was a first-generation mixed-race person. At the time of his birth in 1879, there were only two categories for people like him. A white and koi or san love affair gave rise to a buster or bastard. These children occupied a lower rung on the social ladder than children born to slave and master, who were labelled coloured. I understand that the British found the term buster objectionable, and at some point they were all lumped together as coloured. I strongly suspect that Opa Class was born out of wedlock. In those days, this mattered much more than skin colour. All we know about his parents is his mother's first name and that he was looking for his father. The marriage register identifies the mother as Lena, and below that the word tracing appears. Years later, on Opa Class's death certificate, his father is named as Philip, and they all look like a happy family with Lena sharing the family name. I rejected out of hand a suggestion that the word tracing may have been Lena's surname. The paucity of information about her suggests that she may have been either an Aboriginal or otherwise a slave or a servant. Maybe she belonged to the Zulu tribe and her children, who struggled to say her name, called her Omatitis. Before we knew all of this, Mum and I still believed that her grandmother was the famed Omatitis. And I don't think I was too overly surprised to find out that the, the lady could have been a black lady and that, yeah, my grandfather could have been a white guy or a, yeah, African or something. White guy or a, yeah, African or something. I was flummoxed. Okay, so... Um there was a very unexpected uh, twist in the tale there, and I spoke to my mom for the first time. I mean, we've had numerous conversations about this, but it's focused mainly on my great-grandmother, my mom's grandmother. Um, and as you know, I was quite excited about the fact that she was of uh, native origin. Um, but then my mom revealed that she also thinks that my great-grandfather... Um, may have been um, an Afrikaner um, or a white person. Um, so that's a bit of a tough one to swallow. <laughs> I think I feel, I feel about that how maybe some of my family members feel about my great-grandmother. Um, it's not something that I would be particularly proud of. It's just a little bit too close for comfort, because I knew they might be like an Afrikaner ancestor, um, but I didn't think it would be like great-grandfather, like maybe like great-great-great or greater. If Opa Class was coloured, a far greater question beckoned. Was his father white? Why the name Philip? Did they make him up? Is this even a real surname? If they did meet their dad... I imagine it played out something like Luke's encounter with Darth Vader. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. 
Opa Klaas managed to escape his past and completely reinvent himself. The marriage was a critical first step. His bride, Aletta, was raised in a proper Christian home with mummy and daddy. She may have been baptized, although I have been unable to trace a record. It's common practice to marry out of the bride's church. So, the wedding seems to say much more about Aletta than Opa Klaas. But when the Dutch Bible surfaced, it seemed the natural starting point in uncovering our ancestry. The Bible was found in the home of a Muslim woman in Cape Town who had been spring cleaning. It exchanged hands until it landed up with Opa Klaas's nephew, Alfie. And then, Auntie Thelma, Alfie's sister, brought it up to Johannesburg. The 98-year-old was our first stop in our quest. Did you bring it from the Cape somewhere? Somebody gave you a Bible with a picture and the names oh. of all the family in there. I wonder where's that Bible now. I thought you had given it to Cedric, Auntie Thelma. You think so? Auntie Thelma reminds me of Granny and Tweety Bird from the Looney Tunes cartoon, but I think she knows much more than she lets on. For example, when we asked her whether Oma Aletta could have been a Zulu woman, she was emphatic. No, she said. Opa Klaas was deeply prejudiced against black people, and a letter came from a well-known coloured family. And what of Oma Titi's? Oma Titi. Mm. It's, it's my father, it's Niklas's sister. Was it his sister? It was his sister, and my father's sister, elder sister, Oma Titi's. Oh. She lived to a hundred, and Oma Titi's is for Ali family, so to tell, you know. I immediately smelt a rat. Maybe Auntie Thelma didn't want to talk about her grandmother, Lena, because as a child she had been forbidden from asking any questions. The house of cards could all come tumbling down if anybody found out about my black great-great-grandmother. Notes in the Bible reveal that Aletta was pregnant almost every year during her marriage and passed away at the tender age of 46, when her youngest, my grandfather Nicholas, was only eight years old. She had 11 children. Five years after Aletta died, and in the year that they would have celebrated their 28th wedding anniversary, the Grote Kerf shut its doors on coloured unions. In 1935, the church debated whether or not coloured and black people have souls. After deciding in the affirmative, they were insistent that the good Lord designed birds of a feather to flock together. This mission policy became the midwife for Grand Apartheid. This complete about-turn must have perplexed Opa Klaas. When I contacted the sister church, the Nieder Dacher Forum de Kerk, they bent over backwards to try and convince me that Klaas and Aletta never had a church-sanctioned wedding. An archivist suggested that my great-grandparents married in court, and I quote, the register seems to be only a church register, as it's not an official document. The conclusion from this is that the official part was performed before the said magistrate. Unquote. What? So the church merely rubber-stamped the wedding? Says the archivist, and I quote, In the bottom right, I'm sure I read the name D.B. Leroux, Lerar, thus the name of the minister. Unquote. It beggars belief that my God-fearing great-grandparents would get married in court and then pop by the church for a quick blessing. When I pointed out these and other inconsistencies, 
He feigned ignorance, referring me to the Dutch Reformed Church archive in the Cape. I chuckled when I read the rather condescending first line. Quote, your remarks about your research are quite apt and indeed relevant. Unquote. There was nothing for it but to visit the crime scene. Your destination will be on the left. A great tower looms above the bustle of the capital city, its empty cross stabbing weakly at the sky. As I squeeze my car into a tiny parking bay on the side of the road, I recreate the scene in my mind's eye. A young Aletta, standing on the church steps in a simple white dress, clutching dried flowers. Her father, his lined face weathered by the harsh sun, stands proudly by her side. Now, which one, which one is it that comes first? It's the, it's, <laughs> it's Lang Sadeh Leva comes first, isn't it? And then Saleva Hoog, and then Eris Arinia, okay. Lang As I alight, an Afrikaans couple offer a round of applause, so oppressed were they with my parking skills. The time had come. Facing the red brick building, which seemed so out of place in that part of town, my palms were sweaty, my mouth was dry. De Grotekerk seemed to reflect my mood, as it stood awkwardly on a street corner bursting with Africans. I ignored the two Afrikaners watching me from the shadows. Okay, I finally found it, I think. That was quite a mission. Okay, I'm approaching the steps of the church. I hope it's open. The church is closed. They're only open on Sundays, the service. There was no way I was coming back here, ever. I turned to Google and dutchfootsteps.co.za took me close enough. Bosman Street Church. Some photographs of the church. Bosman Street Church is the largest and grandest. Designed in the Neo-Dutch Renaissance with strong neoclassical influence, this church has its aesthetic origin in the Dutch Golden Age of the 1600s. The interior for the church is spectacular, its roof freely spanning the whole of the church. Make sure to climb the tower for stomach-churning views of the city. And right there, on the steps of this grand old church, where Oma Aleta had stood, in an affirmation of that coloured wedding, I delivered my carefully rehearsed narration. So I stand here, on the other side of history. This is the church where my great-grandparents got married, where they said their vows. It must have been a, quite a momentous um, occasion. 
because this church had just been opened. I think it was established in 1903. My great-grandparents got married here in 1907. So it must have had all the markings of a church-sanctioned marriage. The interesting fact, of course, is that both my great-grandparents were colored and not of the white race, but my great-grandparents got married here before the doors were shut. Upper class had eight brothers and sisters because the Bible tells us so. The Bible must have been the answer to my Uncle Cedric's prayers, arriving on the scene just as he had begun piecing together the family tree. But for me, the Bible fails to answer one critical question. What was Opa Class's Damascus moment? Or was it all just a marriage of convenience? Uncle David is my mom's youngest brother. He was involved with the start of the Ebenezer Church. So you had the London Missionary Society coming to establish the church here in South Africa. And our grandfather was involved with that. They're saying from just the little bit that I read, he was illiterate or whatever, but he was one of the one of the founders in terms of that church. So I think, if anything, that is the reason why the families achieve prominence. And then there's the surname. There's definite, from a surname point of view, there's definite links to the Dutch. So it's a derivative of the Dutch. It's a, it's a, it's a derived, very definite Dutch surname, and it's part of literally the original Dutch settlers. The slave connection was this family that where this where this grandfather came from was that somebody that was on somebody's farm right is this a slave that was on the farm and that somehow got the name uncle david is an indian bali with a colored accent a hulking man with massive calf muscles and hands that could hug an elephant uncle david doesn't easily fit into any box a little-known fact is that the Bengalese from Asia were amongst the first slaves brought to the Cape. Many prominent Afrikaner families are descendant of these slaves. From the brothers, you literally can, if I now look at across the, across the board, I'm saying from Uncle Stoffel's kids, um, Uncle Philip's kids, I'm thinking of Aubrey, the people that I know, all of them had the straight hair. Indian type of features, right? It seems as though there was a certain type of build. Typical of a, of a Dutch build. So I'm saying height. You, you find that things like the big calf muscles and those kinds of stuff. Now, that is very typical of, your, of, of Dutch, if you look at their, their type of build. Right? In our community, in our colored community, it's, it's a novelty that you go into the Dutch Afrikaans community, you find that it's almost part of the course. Antithelma says that Opa Klaas and his siblings sought their fortunes in Johannesburg from the Eastern Cape. Most of the family remained in the City of Gold, and Opa Klaas, who appears to be the eldest, died here. But curiously, his family Bible pops up in the Cape. My uncle Cedric lives a few houses down from Antithelma. When she brought the Bible home, he was the obvious first choice. One would have been able to tell us was Cedric. Because I know once he came here to ask 
information because he wanted to start a family tree. Uh, uh, the late Cedric. Earlier, we had referred to a photograph of Uncle Frank and his brother Henry. Upper class must have been mighty proud of his son Henny, the minister. Uncle Henry even crops up in a study about the history of the Congregational Church in the Northern Cape. When Uncle Cedric passed away a few years back, it seemed the Bible had been buried with him. Luckily, he had given it to his younger brother, Fred. And then uh, when he was ill, he gave the, that package to me with the Bible and the, and the CD and said, <laughs> and said uh, you keep it now. So that's how I've got the Bible now. So you are the keeper of the book. Yes, of the book. (laughs) As the only journalist in the family, people are generally apprehensive to talk to me. Admittedly, it was a rookie mistake to stick a microphone in Uncle Fred's face moments after he sat down. He clammed up faster than you could say, oh, my titties. Oh, she's a reporter. Yes. What are the words I'm supposed to say? No comment. No comment. I can neither confirm or deny. Okay. The allegation. Yeah, that's what she must say. Oh, right. You must find this Uncle Fred. Why are you in the middle of a media story? I deny Alice. Never mind before and after Alice. Uncle Fred looks like a school teacher with his kind eyes and sharp wit. When the Bible re-emerged, I was expecting fireworks, a burning bush, a high-felt thunderstorm in the middle of winter, anything just to mark the occasion. All I got was a cheap shoebox and the old Bible tucked away under my kindly uncle's arm. Okay, that's why I went to Vicky. Okay. Yeah. Then when I threatened Auntie Vicky with another visit, she was like, Okay, Uncle Fred has the Bible! Uncle Fred! <laughs> <laughs> now, when I went there, she said they were looking for the Bible. And then I said, I've got it. Then she said, Oh, you got it. So they were surprised that I had it. Yes. So, so they were looking for the Bible. Then I immediately said, I've got the Bible. And there's evidence I got the Bible. <laughs> I am the keeper of the Bible. For now, many of the photos have been lost, but thankfully copied onto a CD disc. When I first looked at them, it was clear that A, this was not Omatiti's, and B, my mom's granny, who we now know as Aleta, was not Zulu. The Jeep shoebox once contained size 10 Nebraska lace-ups in black. Now it holds the late Uncle Cedric's family tree, which includes an old photo album and a CD disc. They did it in word. Um, PowerPoint would have been uh, a bigger space, yeah. But he tried, he tried to put a photo, scan it, put a photo, and then try to say this is Opa and what and what and what. But that's that's Cedric's attempt at trying to place things in perspective. Alone with the Bible, a feeling came over me. So I'm standing in a room with the Bible. It's printed on the, on the spine of the Bible, B-I-J-B-L, which I suppose is the Dutch um, spelling um, for the word Bible, obviously in Dutch. It's leather-bound, very worn. Um, and then my great-grandfather's name and a history of his family. And then uh, Genesis.
an den Begonnen schiebt Gott den Himmel in die Erde. Oden Testaments. The pages are very weathered and worn. You can see many hands have handled this book. Notes from my uncle. A little bit of an ink stain here at the back. And there's some maps of the Bible days in color at the back. But otherwise, very, very old book. Printed in Great Britain. The date here is 1927. I pause to point out that my great-grandparents married in 1907, but this particular Bible was only printed some 20 years later. I highly doubt whether Opa Klaas even knew about it. He died in 1946. It seems to me to be more of a tribute. Opa Klaas's family history could have been recorded posthumously, possibly by his son Henny. He would have known the significance of this particular Dutch Bible, and he would have had the means to access a copy. It remains a mystery why Lena is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, but Philip's name appears below Opa Klaas's in the burial record. The vague entry only offers a place name, Pretoria. Where does a Bible like this come from? Is this an heirloom? Is this something that is handed from father? I mean, what's the practice in terms of that? Right? Does does the parent say, "Yeah, this is yours"? Right? Maybe it could just be as these are the only printed copies that were available at the time. So this is then given as a as a as an heirloom. In his reply to my initial query, the archivist remarked, and I quote, "Sounds sick like a normal copy of the Holy Bible." then used by Afrikaans-speaking people, since the Bible was only translated into Afrikaans in 1933. The value of this Bible would be to preserve the family tree written in it. Unquote. His brush-off made me so livid I nearly spilled my book's vein. I turned to the British and Foreign Bible Society who published this particular Bible. Their translator, Neil Rees, was only too happy to engage me. He told me that this was the first official Bible translation into the Dutch language taken directly from Greek and Hebrew sources. First published in 1637 in the Netherlands, it enjoyed the same status as the King James authorised version did in Britain. Holy moly, archivist dude! And so my quest really begins where it ends. The Bible is probably no more than a self-fulfilling prophecy, propping up the notion of a Dutch or Afrikaans ancestor. The Book of Revelations beckons as we try to find those who committed the original sin, sex across the colour line. And also, could the real Omatitis please stand up? So will the real shady please stand up and put one of those fingers on each hand up and be proud to be out of your mind and out of control and one more time, loud as you can, how does it go? I'm Slim Shady, yes I'm the real shady, all you other Slim Shadies are just imitating, so won't the real Slim Shady please stand up, please stand up, please stand up, cause I'm Slim Shady, yes I'm the real shady, all you other Slim Shadies are just imitating, so won't the real Slim Shady please stand up, please stand up.
This podcast was written by Candice Nolan and produced by Danny Boyson. We'd like to thank Linkris, The Genius, the ZK Makeba Trust and Sia Sanda Music, Disney and J.R. Tolkien. This podcast was also made possible through YouTube. Special thanks to Frank and James McCravey, Peter Gabriel, Sarah McQuaid and Eminem. We would also like to thank comedians Riyad Musa and Trevor Noah. Candice would also like to thank her family for their patience, advice and love.